Amen. Okay, good morning, everyone. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning, and I've been enjoying the wonderful worship. You know, I was up there um, typing, uh, printing out my notes, <laughs> and ever since I got in here this morning, I've, my pen has been busy realigning my notes as I've been listening to what God is doing, right? So I'm up there lifting my hands in worship, and with my other hand, pending down, <laughs> changing my notes, because it's, the worship is so beautiful. But also, I wanted to be sensitive to what God is trying to say and bring that into what I'm speaking here this morning. So, yeah, God bless you. Uh, for those of us, for those of you leading here in worship, for, for leading this congregation in, in this heartfelt, open worship towards Jesus. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I could be here just worshiping, praying, praising the Lord for hours. Right? Anybody else? Any take it? Yeah, amen. Praise God. Um, okay, so I want to... Um, so Daniel, this morning, it was a very powerful and very specific word for yourself, person, but also I think it's applicable for the congregation here. And it's connected to spiritual adultery, forsaking the Lord, right? Um, now, what I want to do in connection with what you shared, Daniel, is I want to share part of, go back to my own story and coming into the spirit-filled life and how this even happened in my own personal life. As I remember being back in <clears throat> New York City, and um, it just took me back as you were sharing to that time in my life. And as I was praying and crying out for, the, for, for more from the Holy Spirit, more of the gifts of the Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and I shared some of this before here when I was with you a few weeks ago, the Lord began to work in my heart as it related to the great commandment. I didn't realize it at that moment, but that's what later as in reflection what was happening. And the first, one of the things he did, they touched on the, the last portion of that that journey bringing me in alignment to loving him supremely and then loving my neighbor as myself um, was that he gave me a dream also. It was during a time of fasting. I don't put, I'm like you, Daniel. I don't put much stock into dreams. Thank you so much, Jay. I was thinking of that. I didn't want to say that. Um, but um, um, So... Th- yeah, so, so, you know, dreams, it's difficult sometimes to know, okay, is this me or is this the Lord? But <clears throat> I usually reserve hearing from the Lord in dreams. Generally, this is just myself. I'm not saying this is what you should do, but I usually reserve that to fasting. So I spend time intense fasting or two, two days or whatever. And, and then I say, Lord, if you want to, now I, I want you to speak to me because whatever you speak to in this time, my heart, my mind, everything is towards you. And so whatever you, you give me during this time, I, I can have at least a measure of confidence that's from you. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way you should hear the Lord in dreams. As God speaks to us in dreams without fasting. Just for me personally, like you mentioned, it's like this, sometimes dreams can be a little bit vague in, in that sense. And so, but it was during that time of fasting when God spoke to me in relation to what you shared, Daniel, it was that I left my first love. And I committed spiritual adultery. It's the same thing. You see, God wants to put his finger on that as his people. It's the worst form of betrayal towards the Lord that we can never do is to exalt idols in our lives above him, to pursue other things. When he has, when the father has sent his son on earth to suffer, to die, to be nailed to a cross for our sins, and then we go, profess faith in him, and then we run after something else and pursue something else that's more important than him. That's awful. That's, that's so, it, it just so grieves the Lord. And it's, it's, it's pertinent that you mention the marketplace because Jesus in his earthly ministry, what did he speak almost more than anything else about? Money. It's, it's a very pertinent message, Daniel. And so at the end of this service, um, we're going to try and tie all of that together. By God's grace, I'm going to try and bring all that together. Okay? Um, 
in what what maybe God started to do and has been doing you know, before this, but going back to two weeks ago when we were here, um, maybe the, the the word that God gave back then um, in relation to to that subject, and then tying together what you shared this morning, Daniel, and then tie it together with what we're speaking here this morning. We'll try and do that by God's grace, bring it all together and apply it, and find a way forward um, here as um, maybe a congregation and maybe some thoughts on that. So um, now this morning, what I want to do, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, I'm going to step a little bit this way and go this way, but we'll come back in, in some way and bring it all together. So um, what I want to, to, to do this morning is call you um, to, to a bit more of a, a practical way of living out the spiritual life. Okay. Now <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter two, the scripture expresses the gospel as so great a salvation. Right? Now, I have a question. Now, give me an answer. This is a question that I'm asking for an answer. <laughs> now, in which way does God bear witness of this so great a salvation? It's right there in Hebrews 2. By his spirit, but practically, through which ways? Signs? Wonders, miracles, and what else? Gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I think we know it. You guys know the passage, right? Hebrews 2, is it verse 2 or 3? Um, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed by the Spirit's working according to his will, right? So there's an <clears throat> intrinsic connection between the proclamation of the gospel and the working of the Spirit in miraculous ways. You know, the gifts serve to build up the body of Jesus by maturing it towards Christ, by becoming more like Jesus, right? That's one of the purposes of the gifts. It's also, um, that the purpose also of the gifts is to add to the church, to build up the church by adding to the church. Those who are with, from without the church, they're outside the church, they've not come to faith in Jesus, to the gospel being declared with power, right? So the gifts and the power of the Spirit has this twofold purpose, right? Do we get it? It's like, one side maturing the body of Jesus to be more like Jesus, and the other side bringing in to the kingdom those who are outside the kingdom. Right? Amen? So now, if you look at Acts 2, Pentecost, right, in very short order, ended up where? From that room to where? Out in the streets. And the result of Pentecost was thousands of people converted and baptized and enter, brought into the kingdom, right? So a healthy Pentecost will always have the same results. An unhealthy Pentecost will stay where? Within the four walls of a building. That's an unhealthy Pentecost, <laughs> right? So a healthy Pentecost always spreads out of the body of Christ into the streets, into the highways and the byways, and compels the lost to come in, right? And so sometimes when the gifts are poured out in the congregation, it becomes all about the Holy Spirit and gift, you know, gifts and this and that, or even sometimes we can be addicted to the prophetic. And what I mean by that is we long to hear God's voice. We want to hear God speak, but we're not applying what he's saying. That's not healthy. Okay, so if God gives a word, we need to receive it and walk in it in order to, for it to bear fruit in our lives. Not just go, God, speak to us again. And I know what he just said last week. Okay, that's not the way prophecy works. If you want to have the fruit of a, of a word that comes from the Lord in your life, you need to obey that word. And the, um, you know, it's always a lack of a fear of God in our hearts that causes us not to obey God. Right? 
That's at the root of the lack of an obedient Christian life is a lack of a fear of God. Maybe an overemphasis on God's love, but not a healthy balance between the fear of God and the love of God. Yeah. So always when we, um, when we fear God, we would always obey him. We always with reverence when his word comes, either through the scriptures being taught or a prophetic, in a prophetic way. We will seek to come into obedience to that word. And then to the obedience comes what? Fruit. And the ultimate fruit of being more like Jesus individually and then as a congregation, right? All right. Amen. So now in order for, for maybe this, this to happen, the, the, our Pentecost experience, individually and corporately, to spill out into the streets, we have to have a bit of a foundational realignment in what it means to be Christian. Okay, there you go. I don't have a PowerPoint. I just have my notes this morning. So, <laughs> Okay, so um, now typically, let me explain to you what typically in Christendom today we think of as it relates to being Christian, right? It means that we've maybe made a confession of faith in Jesus, right? We attend faithfully every Sunday morning for two, a two-hour period, a service like this, right? Where we sing, we hear some teaching, we pray together, then we go home, and then we live the rest of the week for ourselves. If we're a little bit more committed to this thing of church, we show up Wednesdays for whatever special events are happening there. And then if, you know, we also, as Christians, believe some confession. And from our background, our confession has a little bit more distinctives. And so that believing those confession, those more distinct distinctives and uh, the applications of those, we are just a little bit better than other Christians generally in our minds. We think that way, right? So um, now if we're super special, right? Then we spend some time in missions. Right? Then we go overseas and we proclaim Jesus. I mean, two, year, I mean, two years is, is, is a good time. More than two years, wow, you're dedicated to Jesus. It's so amazing how spiritual and, and dedicated to Jesus you are, right? Okay, that's typical. So typical in the church, this kind of mindset. Okay, if, if, but that, what I just described to you so far from what we find in the scriptures, from Acts, that there's almost no correlation between that. There's some, a little bit, of course, there's a resemblance. But in order for us to live out the full reality of the spirit-filled life, we need to foundation realign what it means to be Christian. And so the title of what I bring, the message I want to bring this morning is Every Believer a Disciple. Every Believer a Disciple. And so I begin here in, uh, with, this, with this in, in um, Matthew 4, where Jesus says to his disciples, Come follow me. And I will teach you to become fishers of men. That's Matthew chapter 4. Now, the results of following Jesus always includes the lost coming into the kingdom. Okay? Now, if you're following, if Jesus is devoid of this, then it points to a need for a greater maturing in your walk with Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about everyone becoming evangelists. Okay? Hear, me, hear me clearly. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about people living a life that is so, so much like Jesus that impacts the people around you because you're imitating him and the results and people around you turning their hearts to him and wanting to follow him just like you follow him because of the love in, that's in your heart f- for the people around you, because you serve them, because you, you invite them into your, into your home, into your heart. And because of that, they say, hey, whatever, whoever you're following, whatever's changing that in your life, I want that, okay? So Jesus said, come follow me. And that's for who? Just evangelists? No, for all of us. And I will teach you what? To fish for men. Right <clears throat> now, the now this call of following him is this call to be his disciple. Okay, so now 
as we think about being a disciple, um, or as we think of this idea of Jesus calling for us to make disciples, the first thing we need to be is disciples ourselves. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. It's an ultimate call to make disciples in some sense, but I've realized in the church that the first thing that needs to happen if we're going to be effective in making disciples in a spirit-filled way is we're going to have to know how to be disciples and follow Jesus ourselves, and what that means, even by definition of the scriptures, right? And we have to get old ideas out of our mind and go back to the scriptures and see what, what that looks like and what that is like, right? And so, now let's think this morning of maybe the modern word for disciple. What could be a modern word that, that we actually use or that's very common in the workplace that's connected to this word, this word being a disciple? So instead of disciple, we could use the word what? Student, yes, okay. I'm thinking of another one that's even a little bit more practical, even more hands-on. That's right, apprentice. That's it. I think that one is, is so, it's so good because it just gives us a perfect picture of what it actually means to be a disciple. So um, if we think of an apprentice, right, um, I think of like my brother who was an apprentice for several years as an electrician up in Canada, right? So the way that worked for him is he um, started off by going to college for two months and he studied for two months all the theory, and then the college sent him to do about 10 months of practicum under a master red seal electrician, right? And so he would go into the field, he'd learn all these things about electrical work, start with like the plugs and all the simple things, and he'd come back after a year, do two more months of schooling, right? All kinds of theory again, back onto the field for 10 months under the master electrician, and that cycle would continue for four years until my brothers and apprentice knew everything the red seal Certified electrician knew. And then he was completely certified to do everything that that electrician had, um, had done, uh, was doing. And in some ways, uh, maybe he did it better. I'm not sure. But that would be uh, you know, a good outcome, right? Is that you do better than even your master. Um, now, in the spiritual sense, none of us are going to do better than our master, but our, our aim is towards him and the way he did it, right? So um, there's a beautiful verse in Scripture, Luke 6.40, and which kind of summarizes this, our objective and where we're going as being Christians or being disciples. It's Luke 6, 40. Remember, this is kind of the theme verse of this message this morning. It's a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, I'm going to take out the, the everyone and just make it, sometimes in this message, a disciple, right? So I'll say a disciple is not above his teacher, but every disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Isn't that amazing? Let me say this again. This is Jesus. He says it, right? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he's fully trained or has become fully mature, will be like his teacher or the one who trained him. Right? So, again, let's think of, um, like, the, the idea of someone making cabinets or, like, grade A, like, the best cabinets in the area. Right? So, when an apprentice who's in a cabinet shop working under a master cabinet builder uh, is fully trained, how is he going to build cabinets? Like the cheap shop down the road? Using all the, no, he's going to build like his master who builds these grade A, you know, the, the best cabinets in the area. That's when he's fully trained. If he doesn't become fully trained, he's not going to do it. He's going to make lower grade cabinets or not as nice, right? <clears throat> now, many times in church, um, a few of us, a few people carry all the spiritual weight or pull all the, all the weight, right? Um, many come to church uh, and just passively participate and spectate and listen and um, we've built this church culture in which it's, we have certain things like events that are very important, like Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. 
And what we need to refocus in the sense of every, disciple, every believer being a disciple is that the Monday to Saturday is actually more important than what we do here publicly for two hours. The way you live from Monday to Saturday is, let me say it again, is more important than what we're doing here for two hours. Because that's the real world. That's where being a disciple actually impacts everything around you. Right? And if you can be a disciple, do everything that Jesus did every day from Monday to Saturday, then even when you gather together, it's going to be full of life. Right? And you're going to be able to impact your community and, and each other if you live on everything Jesus says from Monday to Saturday. Right? <clears throat> Um, now, what is uh, discipleship? Okay, well, first we probably need to say what, it, what it's not, right? So when you think of discipleship, I mean, how many of you think discipleship, it's like, okay, let's come to a 12-step 12, uh, 12 course on blah, blah, blah. And, it, and it, is that what you think of, like, when I think you say discipleship, is that what pops into your mind the first thing? Anybody? Some of you, okay. Like some, for me, that for years, that was what I thought. Okay, we're going to do discipleship. That means coming to a building like this, then someone teaches lessons, 10 lessons, and then we're being discipled. <laughs> right? So discipleship is actually not that. It's not a program, right? <clears throat> um, it's not a bunch of courses or a course. Um, that can be, that's actually more like, that's actually more teaching, right? That's instruction, teaching, right? Now, of course, Teaching is part of discipling someone or being a disciple of discipleship, right? Um, discipleship always has an element of this invitation to come follow, come follow me, right? That's what Jesus did to his disciples. He said, come follow me. He didn't say, come join me in this classroom once a week and I'll teach you a bunch of concepts and you go out and try to apply them by yourself. No, he said, come be with me, right? Now, think of discipleship in the, the, in the process of training like an apprentice. Think of a cabinet maker, right? Um, now, think of this new apprentice who's just never done any cabinetry before, right? He's, he comes into uh, the job site, and we have to do crown molding, right? Who's ever done crown molding? 45s. Oh, yeah. Is, it, is that tricky? It's like the trickiest thing to do, right? So you know, you're probably not going to start there, but you're going to start with you know, maybe the, the baseboards. But the, the, um, the master carpenter is going to first, what's he going to do? He's going to demonstrate for the new apprentice or teach him, explain to him how to do it. Then he's going to demonstrate, and then he's going to tell him to do, starting with the easier things, um, first, uh, the same thing that he showed him and explained to him how to do, right? And then as that person grows, right, in, in their understanding, more responsibility is given, and so forth, right? Um, and the, the apprentice begins to practice by himself as he's, being, as, be, as, as he's being trained, okay? So now, how do we do, yeah, how do we do this thing of making disciples? Um, and just thinking about that a little bit more. Um, again, do we need a curriculum to teach through? Not necessarily. It can be helpful at times. But let's ask the question, how did Jesus do it? How did he make disciples? Right, so he, ta he, he taught and he lived life with his disciples. He lived life together with them, right? He invited his disciples right, into his life to be with him every single day. Um, now, <clears throat> Jesus' way of disciple making involves us allowing people into our life right instead of making ministry or being a disciple a tuesday evening event right where it's like a switch switch on ministry okay then we go into our ministry for two hours switch off when we get back home and then we do the rest of our life the rest of the week you know whatever we want to do and we don't even engage the people we engage with tuesday night at all that's not 
making disciples. Okay? That often is more to make ourselves feel better about ourselves than it is about actually being disciples and preaching the gospel and making uh, Jesus known. Right? So sometimes in the church, we can actually be selfish when it comes to ministry. We can do it for our own, own selves. Because we look at the Bible, right? And go like, oh, I should be doing all these things. Well, let's, let's, let's start doing it. And then it eases my conscience a little bit, right? right? Sometimes that can happen. I'm not saying that happens all the time. I'm just saying that can be some motivation that needs to be adjusted sometimes in our hearts for, for doing the things that Jesus told us to do, right? Now, um, being involved in genuine, as a genuine disciple um, in people's lives means that we need to be available for people, right? Um, we cannot be available for people if we are not in close proximity with them. Okay, it's impossible, right? If that's why it's so ineffective, um, so uh, to go do this ministry type of style where we go in and then go out, in and then go out, be it a Tuesday night or be it let's go into the city and do evangelism and then let's go back out half an hour, forty-five minutes out where we live in a little bit more of a safer environment. That. The fruit of that kind of ministry and attitude towards making disciples or preaching the gospel is, is almost nothing all the time, right? There's no fruit from that. There's good reasons for that, right? Because of the proximity thing, right? Jesus, when he made disciples, he did what? He invited people into his life to be with him every single day. So he invited them in, practically speaking, into his life, into everything that it meant to be around him. Now, <clears throat> I remember when we moved into Athens, um, when we moved over to Greece, we decided we're going to move into the downtown core, which is the worst part of Athens. And I, didn't, I don't necessarily like living in cities, by the way, especially not the worst parts of the city. But because we were serving the migrants and refugee community, the, and they were just transiting through, the, 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 the migrant community that we lived in, they wanted the cheapest housing because they're just passing through. They want to pay minimal housing fees and the cost of that. And so they moved into the worst parts of town. And, and, and then... And so we realized if we want to reach those particular people, that's what we need to do. We need to move in with them and be there, right, in that community, right, and live with them. And so we moved into the downtown of Athens. We ended up on, uh, you know, one of the main pass-through streets. And the street behind our house was the oldest brothel street in Athens. And the street behind that was like the mafia street where all the illicit things would happen on a daily basis <laughs> as everything bad going on in Athens would, would often start and originate from there. And I remember some of our fellow missionaries would look at us and go like, you guys are crazy. Why are you living? You should be living outside the city where it's safer. Have kids can be, you know, can grow a family and all those things. And down here, it's not practical. People are always flocking to, to you with your, their needs and so forth. But we realized if we're going to see Jesus, when he, left, he left heaven, right? And then he came down and lived among us. He didn't do this transit thing. He didn't, go about, he didn't come down with, from heaven with a message and say, here it is, Zoop, out of here, out of this messy world. Go into heaven to its glory and rest there, relax for a day. And then zoop, down again. Hey guys, another message for you. Zoop, up to heaven. No, he, he came and lived incarnationally among us. Right? Now, um, it, it, that is not easy. <laughs> right? So, um, li living among and inviting people into your life in that, in that way, um, where they can easily drop by your place whenever they want, is difficult at times. But there is, there, can, there is fruitfulness that comes from that that cannot be had any other way. And so my wife and I, the team, uh, all chose to live downtown. And from that, we birthed it from scratch, a congregation, planted a church from scratch, and trained up leaders and planted an entire church in that area. And other workers that were there, who had been there for years, didn't have the same results and fruit. Now, that was one of the reasons, but there's other things also connected. But there was a lot of this transit in, transit out mentality, right? Instead of being with people, being 
in, in the middle of their community being and, and, and living like they were living in the sense of facing, facing some of the same situations they did. We, and so um, if we want to be disciples ourselves, we have to do it Jesus' way. Right? And so even in, for example, even in the moving in the miraculous in evangelism, as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, as it relates to healing, right? Sometimes, again, like I said, we can be addicted to the prophetic. We want to hear God's voice, but we don't want to obey it. It comes down to it. Same thing for the miraculous in evangelism, the healing of the sick. We can go out praying for the sick, but we don't want to invite that person that just got healed. We don't even have it in our mind to invite them into our house the next day to sit at our, our table to enjoy, enjoy food with us and to become a friend and a brother that I sit with in the same congregation. We think, oh, Jesus did something amazing, amazing and pointed, and we, to this miracle, we pointed him to this person, to, to Jesus. But Jesus wants, when that person is fully healthy in the sense of being like him, he's going to be part of who? Us here. Okay, so the moving of the miraculous and evangelism and the, heat and the purpose of the, heat, the sick being healed is not just so God demonstrates a miracle, it's so that they can be part of us here. And our hearts need to be enlarged to invite people that we are witnessing and evangelizing right in. And everything entails to bring people into that. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, sometimes it actually means, like discipling, being a disciple, means that we'll actually do literally what Jesus did, invite people to, to be with us every single day. So, when, um, like we'll invite people into our lives to live with us. And so one of, one of the closest friends we have today is, is, is a family that didn't have a place to go in the night in the park and we invited them to live with us. We thought it was going to be a week and it being six months. And they became, they're some of our best friends today that want to go back with us to Greece, possibly in a year, to help us plant a church among the people they came from. But that would not have happened, what I just shared with you, unless they lived with us for six months. I'm guaranteeing you it would not have happened. If we would have gone out to the park and given them tea every night and said, God bless you, and then went back to our warm house and didn't bring them in, I would not be sharing what I just shared with you. You see, being a disciple means that we do attempt to do everything that Jesus, by God's grace, that he did and modeled for us. Okay? And ministry and serving others and, and, and all this does not, it's not in, out, in, out. It's a lifestyle. It's who we are every day as identity. We are, like, we are disciples of Jesus. We live like him and our goal is to become like him in every area. Right? Right? So every disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his master, Luke 6.40. So in that context, what we do when we make disciples is we teach people to have their master to be him. Right? We don't teach people to make, when we're making disciples or being a disciple ourselves is to, to follow us. Now, Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ. I think what he meant by that was, don't follow me if I'm not following Christ. Let's reverse it, right? Or the accent of that sentence is not follow me, it's as I follow Christ. So in everything that you see, I'm emulating Jesus in, do that part. In that way, Paul was, was, is actually encouraging others, not towards himself and following himself, but follow Jesus in him. And if Paul wasn't following Jesus in one area, don't follow him, right? Don't follow me in that sense, right? Now, as we're being disciples and discipling others, we should always teach people and train people that they should keep Jesus as Lord. And we should allow the Holy Spirit to lead in our discipleship as we're discipling others, right? <clears throat> what is God doing already in a person's life? When you talk to people, can you, can you see that? 
It's not always apparent. Sometimes you have to be with people for a few times before you begin to understand that, right? So this is spirit-led disciple-making, right? It's listening to what God is doing in that person's life already and coming alongside and working with what God is doing, right? We don't have some particular agenda, right? We don't um, come along and try to bring people into uh, conformity with our own beliefs or our own particular peculiar church doctrines that we have, right? Uh, And the reason for this is it's quite important because sometimes our church is not quite congregationally, as God's people, we're not quite like Jesus. And so if we bring people to be in alignment with who we are as a congregation sometimes, and we're not quite like Jesus in full maturity sense, we make people not to be like Jesus in some way. Right? So everything, our goal in making disciples is to bring them to who? To Jesus, to be like him. And as we're doing that, we're also in prayer and seeking him, being in the word. And as others pray for us, we're becoming like Jesus. Right? Now, <clears throat> how do you disciple someone? How do you do this again? You know, this just practically. Well, the best way to answer that would be just to, to, to say, okay, what did Jesus do? Let's look at the Gospels. What did he do with his disciples? Right? There's many things Jesus did, but let me point some out. He preached the kingdom of God. He did that regularly, all the time. Right? He taught the scriptures particularly the Old Testament and in inter- interpreting what was happening in his ministry and being connected to the Old Testament the fulfillment of that, teaching his disciples how to interpret the scriptures in context. Jesus did that. How do we interpret scripture? Jesus healed the sick. He cast out demons from people. He prayed for people and he prophesied over them. Jesus spent time eating and drinking with people who were far from God. That's our Jesus. People, religious people went, Jesus, look at him, look at him, look at who he's spending time with. He can't be a holy person. Right? You know, our background, we we kind of, um, we have this appreciation for Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Isn't the Sermon on the Mount amazing? Practically following Jesus, the way of the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Matthew 4 just as amazing? What's Matthew, what happens in Matthew 4 preceding the, the Sermon on the Mount? How does Jesus even begin? Before he starts preaching to people about the way of the kingdom, the way we're supposed to live, what does Jesus do? He demonstrates the kingdom. Right? He, he goes into certain regions, starts healing all the sick, casting demons out of people, setting them free, and healing people of all their pains. And then guess what? Everyone's listening. Whoa, this is not just a normal rabbi giving us lectures on how to keep the law. There are sick people being healed, every single one. That's the kingdom with power, that this is a real kingdom that's connected to a real king with real power. And that gives people an ear to listen to what you're saying. Right? And then in that context, what does Jesus do? He begins to preach his longest sermon, right? Sermon on the Mount. Not just the power of the kingdom. When God comes and rules on earth, how that's demonstrated with power, but he also demonstrates what that looks like practically in life, that it's going to it's going to result in us loving even the people who hate us. So the power of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, they're combined, right? So how did Jesus disciple people, right? He preached the gospel. He taught the Old Testament, taught his disciples how to interpret the Old Testament in light of the new, the new covenant. He, he healed the sick. He cast out demons from people. He prayed and he prophesied over people. He spent time eating and drinking with people who are far from God. He fought religious hypocrisy. That's like our Jesus, right? He spots religious hypocrisy a mile away. People who make mo- you know, mountains out of molehills. 
right? Who focus on certain things, don't focus on others. Who tithe, they're mint. Forget about justice. Jesus said, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's religious hypocrisy is wrong and distorts and twists the image of God in people. That's our Jesus. He fought for social justice. Not, not, again, not in its weird sense today. Not talking about that. But there's a woman that was brought to him, right? That society was deeming needed to be stoned. And Jesus says, okay, the one who's perfect, go ahead and throw the first stone. That's real justice. And all the sinners, all the ones who are living hypocritic lives disappear all of a sudden. The ones who went to stone are the very ones who are breaking the law. Wow, that's Jesus. That's how we disciple people, right? We fight, we speak truth to political powers. Did Jesus do that? Yes. The power structures over society, right? We're not just the meek and the quiet of the land. We also speak truth in the public square. We fight for truth in the public square. Jesus loved his enemies to death, even unto death. Right, this list could just continue. I just picked a few. But right, so look, let's look at how do we disciple someone? Look at Jesus. Look at what he did, guys. As, as, as his body, let's look at everything he did and let's emulate him. Let's begin to be like him. Right? Let's be as zealous in fighting against religious hypocrisy of our day as we are about eating and drinking with people who are far from God. Right? Let's be in everything that Jesus was. Let's be like him. Right? So Jesus' disciples, notice, if you read the book of Acts, and you read the Gospels in, in, in alignment with the, with the book of Acts, you, you'll notice that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, did everything that he did. Right? Because Jesus trained them to be like him. So again, every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. Right? That's where we're going. That's all, where all of us are going ourselves, and that's where we're taking others with us. Now, how do we become more effective in this? Well, in Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Right, so one of the first things of, of being more effective in disciple-making is to be with Jesus. Yeah. That's just a, a part of being a disciple is that we spend time learning from him all the time. If we're not spending time learning from him and being with him, we're not going to be able to know how to give to others. Right? So the, 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 the people here in Acts 4, they looked at Peter and John and said, wow, they've been with this Jesus guy. They remind us so much of him. The same way they're speaking with boldness, with authority, with confidence, with power. Right? The same way that reminds us of someone who was just among us. We crucified him, but he lives on in the very people that we're encountering right here. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? So if you're with Jesus, you become like him, right? And so don't cut that out of your life. Don't be busy doing all kinds of works, okay? Doing, 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 doing. Find primarily first, be with Jesus and do that consistently, regularly in your life. Then the next aspect of being an effective disciple maker is um, to become like him, right? It was in, Jesus, in, 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 in Acts 11 verse 6, where the disciples in Antioch were first called Christians or, or like Christ or little Christ. And so um, to be with Jesus, but also to become like him. So being with him makes us to become like him. It makes us think the way he thinks about situations. 
It's when we're with him that as we pray and think about particular situations, whatever it is we're facing, we actually begin to respond and think about those things the way he thinks. And it's a lack of that that, that also um, does not us to become like him. Our mind is constant in other things and so forth. Right? The next, next aspect of being an effective disciple maker or being a, an effective disciple ourselves so we can disciple others is to do what Jesus did. Right? We don't just be with, it's not just that we are with Jesus or then we become like him. We actually begin to do the things that he did. I mentioned some of the things, right? Just up, up further, right? We, we, we go out and we pray for the sick. We do that by faith. We expect God to show up and heal them. Right? We fight religious hypocrisy. We point it out. We bring people to freedom. We're under religious bondage. Right? We speak truth to the political powers or the power structures of our day. As God gives us opportunity for that and brings us into conflict with that. Again, we do that with, not just with truth. We don't just trumpet truth. We speak that with what? What was Jesus? Grace and truth. Right? Okay? We don't just do it with grace, but we also speak truth. Right? So, we do what Jesus did, right? In Acts 17, verse 6, it says, these men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. <laughs> I love that. Do you love that? These, these crazy people who are turning the entire world on its head. Like everything we're doing, they're doing the opposite. They've now come to our city to do the same thing. And the people here are saying this, they're thinking it's not a good thing, right? The, the status quo is being disrupted, <laughs> right? But again, what was disrupting the status quo was in connection to everything we're learning is, is, is that the, these apostles, the apostles were coming in, they were proclaiming the gospel with power. In every city where they went and preached the gospel, what it says in Hebrews 2, signs, wonders, and miracles followed. And all of a sudden, like in the cities that were, that were full of idolatry, where there's these idols who couldn't help anyone but just kept people in fear and bondage, and there was no relationship. Of course, you can't have a relationship with an idol. You can't experience the power of an idol in your life. And so the apostles come and proclaim Christ as king, as Yahweh, the living God. And then they start praying for people, and people start getting healed. Everyone in the city goes, what? That's not like our gods. They start laying hands on people who are demon-possessed. The demons leave, screaming. And the people are set free and become normal in their minds. And people go, what? What in the world happened over there? And entire cities start getting um, filled with hope that there's actually a God, a God beyond these idols, these dead idols we've been serving, that actually is alive and cares for us. And city after city was turned upside down because the apostles had this living relationship with Jesus and they went proclaiming the, the gospel with power and authority and the signs and wonders followed. And as people came to faith in Jesus and repented, were baptized, Add to the laying on of hands and prayer of faith, the gifts of the Spirit were distributed into the congregation, into these congregations that were planted. These, these churches became these living organisms of God moving in their region, full of life. Like you read in Acts 19, um, that from Paul's work in Ephesus, even though he never left the city, the entire area of Asia heard the gospel. And that's, how, and that's one of my, again, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's like, wow. That's what I long for. It's such a dynamic disciple-making that impacts people that it affects entire regions, right? Where people go proclaiming the Christ that they've encountered. And it started with 12 people, 12 men in Ephesus, and all of Asia Minor heard, heard the gospel, right? I want to see that today, guys. This is, and even for, for you as a church, that's, this could be part of your vision too. We want all of North Carolina, every single town, every single place, 
to hear the gospel and churches to be planted, little groups of disciples honoring Jesus in every single place, especially in places where there's less of that. Now, <clears throat> Jesus um, had this model, a simple model that we all understand when it comes to apprenticeship in the context of making disciples is, is he, he taught, then he modeled, and then he gave responsibility. And he gave responsibility incrementally as people matured, right? So an example of this in evangelism and healing the sick is in Luke 4, right? Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and then heals many others and, and <clears throat> sets many people free, right? Then after this, Luke 9, right, in order, he sends out the 12 to do the same thing. And then in Luke 10, he sends out the 70, representing the, the 70 nations at the Tower of Babel, that this gospel of kingdom come with power is going to go to the ends of the earth, the nations, all those that are going to be sent through him, right? And they come back, these 70, and they're excited. And they say, look, wow, even, even evil spirits, they're subject to us in your name. Like, who are you? This is incredible. <laughs> we never see anything like it, right? And Jesus explains to them that God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and has showed them to little children. In fact, Jesus rejoiced over that. The little children, those of simple childlike faith and trust can move in the miraculous guys. That's important. God has hid these things of the moving of the miraculous, right? From those who are full of wisdom and understanding, so to speak. But those God has shown it to them who are like little children. Right? So only with childlike faith and trust in God can we move in the miraculous power of God. Right? Because sometimes moving the miraculous doesn't quite make sense to our logical mind. Right? The, 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 the moving of hearing and faith, sometimes we wonder, am I hearing right? <laughs> this doesn't make sense, right? right? That's Paul says in Galatians, how are miracles worked among, among you? He that worketh miracles among you, how does he do it? Is it by the works of the law? Or is it by, or with the What? Hearing by faith. So, for example, in a sense of the miraculous, so let me give a practical example, even here this morning, in some measure, right? So, um, who brings repentance to our hearts? The Holy Spirit, right? It's God who brings repentance to heart, gives us the desire to repent and turn from him. All right, so, Daniel, you shared a little bit this morning about what God spoke to you, right? And how it's applicable for you, but also for the congregation in some sense, right? In, by miraculous revelation, okay? So how is that going to, how, how is that going to have effect in, a, in our lives? So in that sense, in this context, Daniel heard and then give, gave that by faith. How is the miraculous work of God in repentance in our hearts going to come to pass? True hearing and faith and that miraculous working of repentance that draws us closer to Jesus and makes us love him as his church is going to come to fruition because of this hearing and this faith and moving in that, in the, in the context of the prophetic. It didn't come to some ritual of like keeping the Mosaic Covenant or some work that someone did of their own flesh. So how's God, again, see, that's what the scripture means. How is, in the context of the miraculous moving of God. Now, it's also other ways. This is one example of the miraculous working of repentance to bring us closer to Jesus and to detach us from earthly affections. Right? The, earth, the worldly affections have such a draw and pull in our hearts and our lives. How can we be detached to that and serve something we can't see? Right? That needs God's work, his spirit in our hearts. Something needs to quicken that. 
And then we see, just going on this theme, I kind of went a little bit this way, but Acts 2, right? Acts 3, in the context of evangelism and healing, Jesus goes up in heaven and he fully releases that responsibility to his disciples, right? He's, got, he's not present with them anymore. He said, my work is finished, sends the spirit, and its full responsibility now is on you as my body, right? So he trains them, teaches them, releases models, releases incremental responsibility, right? You see that in Luke. And then when they've grown to place of maturity, says, here you go, full responsibility, right? So that's the way we train people, right? So a, a good example of this, a good example of this is um, from Acts chapter nine. Okay? So um, Acts chapter nine is the story of Ananias. Do we all know the story, right, Ananias? And I don't have time to read through the, the whole passage, right? But I want to point this out. Again, this is another one of my favorite phrases in Acts. There's many of these beautiful phrases in Acts. But it's, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Okay? And what's important about that phrase is that Ananias was not a pastor or, or an overseer of a church, the church of Jesus, right? He, he was not an apostle. He was not an evangelist. He wasn't a teacher and he wasn't a prophet. He was a what? He was a disciple, right? What happens to Ananias, right? He's, the first thing that happens to him is he, he hears God's voice, right? So the mark of a disciple is that we, again, Jesus said, my sheep or my disciples do what? Hear my voice. All of you are hearing God's voice. I believe that if you're his disciples. So again, we have to learn how to hear God's voice and identify it, right? It's not, the problem is not hearing, it's identification. So, so here, Ananias heard God's voice, right? Then in response to that was what? Here I am, Lord. A heart of surrender, a posture of surrender to the voice of the Lord, right? Then not only does he surrender to what God says, he's not like just, okay, here I am. You can do whatever you want me to do. Then God tells him what to do. He's like, oh, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe next week. I'll have lots of time to think about what could happen to me if I encounter this Saul guy. Because I could end up in prison. I could end up dead. I could end up not, you know, all kinds of things could happen, right? Possibly. I mean, God gives him some assurance in the passage. But it's not necessary full assurance that, that those things might not happen three years later after he's in prison, for example, right? Necessarily. But anyways, Ananias hears God's voice. He fully surrenders to that. He is willing to obey what God says. And not only that, but he's willing to suffer, even to the point of death, because God spoke. That's the heart of a disciple. Right? He hears God's voice, he's fully surrendered, right? is obedient, even to the point of suffering. Right? Then, because Ananias has his heart and walks in obedience, is willing to suffer, what is the result of that? He ends up in Saul's so the place where Saul is, he comes in with great confidence and says, and we don't know the whole conversation, but he, he lays his hands on Paul, this, this guy who's been persecuting the church, committing people to prison, and then ending up in the, the deaths of people, right? In the body of Christ. He lays hands on them and says, and prays for him, and he's healed. Scales physically fall off his eyes as he's praying. Again, Ananias, is, is, is he a pastor? Is he an evangelist? Powerful prophet? No, he's a what? He's a disciple. Who here is a disciple of Jesus? Amen. And so he, he lays his hands on Paul and he's healed. Then he leads Paul to Christ and baptizes him in that sense. 
brings them to Christ in baptism. Paul came to faith in Jesus, I believe, on Damascus Road, but he brings them into Christ through baptism. Then he prays for Paul to receive the Holy Spirit and says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, look at Paul's life. We don't see the physical manifestation of that right there and then, but was Paul a spirit-baptized believer in the Spirit flowing through him? Look at Acts. Everywhere Paul goes, the sick are healed. Paul says, I, you know, I speak in tongues more than all of you, the Corinthians. I mean, he's flowing in the gifts of the Spirit without hindrance. Oh, it seems like, probably to some degree. <laughs> Didn't obey Jesus perfectly and everything, I'm sure. But there's a, that came from, that effect of what happened in Paul's life came from, through who? A disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Who had a living relationship with the Lord. Who had faith to hear God's voice. Who believed that God would want to speak to him. Who prayed with the expectation that God would speak. And, and, and then he had his ear towards the Lord as he was praying. Not just giving obligatory prayers to God to make himself feel good that he's, you know, to make himself feel good that he's doing what he's supposed to do as a Christian. No. He, praying with faith. With expectancy of hearing. With a heart that's willing to obey. Even unto suffering. Even to, not just suffering, but let's step a few, a few th- being inconvenienced. How about that? Why don't we start there as, as Jesus' people? We're willing to obey Jesus at the point of being inconvenienced. Let's leave the suffering part because we don't understand that very well in our context. How about just starting with being inconvenienced, like doing something that's not convenient for our time when God says it? How about that? Let's, can we start there, guys? Is Jesus' body? Yeah? God speaks. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start taking that step of obedience. And when he speaks, I'm going to pray and hear and, and listen and read scripture and hear again and then move the next step of obedience. And we're going to start seeing what we're seeing here in Acts 9 happen in the, in the church, in the body of Jesus, right? Right, so we know that God can use Jonah's very unwilling individuals to accomplish his will. He can use donkeys even to, to speak, right? <laughs> right, and so he can use un, like individuals who are not ideal to, and we see that throughout the Old, Test, Old Testament, um, to accomplish his, situa- his will in different situations. God uses broken people. That's the story of the Old Testament to accomplish his will. Um, and the, you know, that's the whole biblical story in the Old Covenant. It's just brokenness and God working through that brokenness to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But we don't want to use any of that as any kind of measure of excuse and just say, God is sovereignly going to do whatever he wants through my life, even if I'm not in some measure where I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus, not like him though, right? You know, you're going to be more consistently used by the Lord if you have some of the same characteristics that Ananias has, right? You have a heart that is listening, ears that are listening spiritually to, and having faith that God wants to speak to you, surrendered, obedient, willing to suffer, willing to be inconvenienced. You're going to start seeing some of the same fruit in your life that you see in Ananias' life. Now, everything that happened that Ananias did as a disciple of Jesus, how many of these things I just mentioned do you see flowing and happening in Paul's life? Every single one of them. All the things I mentioned, how many of them did Jesus do? Let's start with the first one. Jesus said, whatever the Father tells me, that I do. That was the nature of his relationship with the Father. Whatever, I don't do anything without him instructing me. Right? So we see continuity. Jesus training his disciples, training disciples like Ananias, training then and exemplifying that to people who come to faith in Jesus like Paul, complete continuity. That would be four generations, and what we call it, like in disciple-making movements, right? Jesus, this disciples, disciples like Ananias, and then Paul. And then Paul on, 
every he, everyone he came, you know, led to the Lord. It'd be fifth and the sixth generation believers, right? That's that's how you get disciple making movements that, like you see in in Acts, and that you know, in my heart, I long to see today across this nation, across the world. But some of that is only going to happen if we come back to defining what it means to follow Jesus from within the Scripture. Define that word Christian to, to, to mean being a disciple every single day in my life, not just one special day of the week. Now, part of uh, something that's important in relation to uh, being a disciple and making disciples um, is that we need to have authority released to us to follow Jesus, right? Um, so Jesus, in Acts, did that with his disciples after he went up to heaven. He released authority, all authority, he said before he went, has been given to me. Go therefore in my name and make disciples, right? So he released that authority to the church. And so essentially all authority comes from Jesus. And so when we aren't releasing each other to obey Jesus and everything that means to be a disciple, we're actually hindering people from obeying, right? In some sense. And so sometimes in the church, we've done that. An example of that would be, um, um, so some of us have in the church built ideas, for example, in context of baptism, that's only supposed to be pastors baptizing others. Again, was Ananias a pastor? No, he wasn't, right? So if we build church structures where only leaders baptize or only pastors baptize disciples, people come to faith, what do we do? We hinder people from obeying Jesus in some sense. Now that 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 can also be done in a good way and in a bad way, right? Um, and this became practical for us when we worked in Greece because um, as a team leader of a Mennonite organization, I was given responsibility to baptize people. I was delegated to be under my authority. And I, I remember sharing with, my, with, with our, the people who were leading that organization, uh, the people I was responsible to, that um, if they were giving me that responsibility to baptize people, that was in my heart is that I would release that to every single person that worked under me. Okay, so... If I am given that authority, then I release every single disciple of Jesus that I'm connected to that is showing growth and maturity towards Jesus to baptize others. Well, that, they were fine with that. Um, and um, it was a bit of a process for us as a team to get there because from our particular church background, that was very uncommon. We had baptism as a church event. And so we couldn't do impromptu baptisms because the whole church needed to be there to kind of celebrate. But um, anyways, there's a whole process and working through that. That's not necessarily a theme of, of, of this morning, but um, what we want to note in relation to Ananias um, was that um, he didn't expect all his, the leaders there, whoever it was in Damascus, to do all the spiritual work that God had instructed him to do, right? He took personal spiritual responsibility to obey Jesus and to be like him. He prays for Saul to be healed, right? He didn't say, hey, uh, pastor so-and-so, would you come and pray this person's sick um, and pray for him for healing or evangelist so-and-so? Right? He then leads them to Christ. He baptizes them. Again, he takes spiritual responsibility for things that Jesus sent him to do as Lord of the church. Right? He prays for him to receive the baptism of the Spirit, to be filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit. Right? He doesn't say, okay, you, you know, the special person here in Damascus who really God works in that way through him, you come and pray for, for, you know, Anna, for Paul in this way. Right? <clears throat> but what's interesting in Acts 9 verse 19, and I think in some translations it, 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 it says, uh, for some days he was with the disciples of Damascus. And what I get from that is that Ananias connected, even though he took spiritual individual responsibility for doing the work of the kingdom, he connected Paul with the believers in Damascus, with the church in Damascus. Okay? He was not out there lone wolf, wolfing it. Okay? That's not what it means to have released authority. It's to be lone wolfing it and to be by yourself and to be doing that separated from the church. Right? Being released spiritually as a disciple and doing things that Jesus instructed us to do is always in connection with the body of Jesus. 
right? So you can have released authority and delegated authority, right? Because all authority comes from Jesus with healthy accountability and community. Those two can go together, right? Too often in the church, we see those separated and it causes too much chaos, right? Have you seen that? Absolutely. So I'm not, everything I'm saying this morning, don't understand it in that negative, bad way, right? Where people separate them from Jesus' body and just say, hey, I'm just obeying Jesus. And they don't have a healthy view of the church, of leaders, of authority, and they can't submit to anyone, right? I want to say this, individuals who are um, dismissive, dismissive of church authority or leadership are often not spiritually or emotionally healthy, okay? So if that's you, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm just saying that's probably just the fact and that you should allow the Holy Spirit to work healing in that part of your life, right? So um, if we're healthy spiritually, if we're healthy emotionally, we always have proper communication and respect for leaders around us and, the, and, and the, the, those who are authority in Jesus' body, that God has placed in the body of Jesus in that way, right? That's the reaction to that is always due to some unhealth in our own hearts. Okay, and, and understandably so. Some of us have come from extremely abusive church backgrounds. We understand that. I, you know, I could share some things about that. Personally, my own life and journey. Again, I'm not, that's not what I'm here to teach this morning is on the church and, and the leadership and so forth. But yeah, we react because of that, right? But let's find healing so that we can um, respond in, in that in the right way. Because then when we start doing what Jesus tells us to do, and we're dismissive of the body of Jesus, we end up causing fractions and divisions, which isn't healthy, which isn't like Jesus, which is against what the Spirit is trying to do in the church and bringing unity. Amen? We get it? Okay. Right. So again, sometimes when you're teaching different things like this, and I'm skimming through things, what you have to understand is that it's sometimes hard to give a full picture of everything, right? So I'm trying to do that a little bit, just add things on in the context here of, of delegated authority and, and flowing in what Jesus wants us to do as disciples in the sense that the unhealthy extreme of that can can lead to the wrong things, right? So, okay, so the, the importance of this is that as we disciple people and as, and this should happen in our own life too, uh, by whoever is discipling us or whoever we're being trained by, is that responsibility should be incrementally released as maturity is observed. Okay? You don't give Ton, full responsibility, hoping that that's going to bring maturity. That's actually going to cause pain and hurt. Maybe if your carpenter cut off finger for the young apprentice, it's dangerous, right? So, um, so you don't throw a blueprint, right, at a new cabinet apprentice the first day on the job and tell him to build this beautiful two hundred thousand dollar kitchen cabinet, your cabinets, right? You don't do that. It's going to cause a mess up, right? Neither do you keep. The apprentice at the chops off for the next three years just cutting wood if he came to learn how to build master cabinets, right? There's implications both ways, spiritually, right? There's implications for keeping people at a place for three years, just doing something without maturing them fully and helping them get to where Jesus wants them to go. There's also uh, spiritual implications of uh, to get too much responsibility too quick for people who are not mature or not like Jesus in some areas of their lives or not at least wanting to become like Jesus in some parts of their lives, right? That's often when that happens, the, the result is some pain, some mess up, some, you know, all kinds of things that happen in relation to that, right? So again, we um, release responsibility incrementally as, as people mature and become like Jesus, right? And so we go back to what Jesus said, every disciple when he's fully trained will be like his master, right? So the, even the impl reverse implications of that verse is that there's some people who are not fully trained or some people that there's different levels of maturity in the body of Jesus. And that's okay, right? I can certainly say I am not as mature, I was not as mature seven years ago as I am today in many areas of my life. You know, 
For example, one example is that I remember the first time I preached publicly. You know what I did? I took a little, um, I took a little CLE, CLE um, tract. Um, do you guys know that the, the one CLE tract that's others may you cannot? Okay. And I wrote a few notes in between, and I stood up here and I read it to the church with my notes in between. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> it was like so embarrassing as I think about that, right? Um, and so, but. You know, if if I would have gotten the, the responsibility to address the congregation every Sunday from that point on, I think everyone would have been frustrated out of their socks. <laughs> I wanted to leave going out the doors, you know, the doors, um, probably five minutes after I got started, right? So we don't just give full responsibility to people right away. We actually train them slowly, give them small amounts of responsibility, and then we, it's more and more. And the, the context here, the example, is like teaching publicly in the church, right? Okay, so now Jesus actually took three years in walking with his disciples um, before he fully released them to do everything he told them to do, right? So train, the, the implication here is that training takes time. Okay, it takes time. We, when we disciple people and when we're disciples, we, we walk with people with patience. We see the long game. We have to see the big picture, right? We see the vision of where we're going and we're playing, doing faithfully what Jesus wants to do as we get to that place, right? So, and maturing disciples is holistic, right? It's, it's, it's as we're walking with people and even ourselves, Jesus wants to mature us holistically. Okay, he wants to mature our head, the way we think, right? Our heart, emotions, and our hands, our doing, right? So the, the head, again, it's, it's, about, it's, it's about forming proper understanding of who God is, maybe theology or apologetics or this knowledge and understanding of God, right? We, we, it's hard to love someone we don't know. So it's important to, have, to, to be maturing people in the understanding of who God is or of how to interpret scripture. If you want to be healthy in the church, and healthy in teaching the scriptures, interpreting scripture in context, but forming the head, right? But there's also forming the heart. So emotions, right? Are we healthy emotionally? Right? Is our character, the way we relate to others, is that okay? You know, uh, is there idolatry that's going on in our lives, right? Is there unforgiveness in relationships, right? If we just exalt people who can speak publicly really well, but there's broken relationships all the time following, that, that's not good, right? That's not healthy, it, balanced, in being a whole, a holistic disciple of Jesus in, in head, heart, and then hands, we should also be doing the things that Jesus told us to do, you know, in our family, in our marriages, in, in serving evangelism, in serving those around us, in helping in, in this congregation, all the practical elements of what that means. Right, head, heart, and hands. We've all, we've all seen, you know, someone, people, individuals, we've probably been those individuals, I might have been at some point, um, you know, different aspects of maybe over, overly one thing above the other, right? So all about doing, 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 but having no knowledge and understanding, right? So lots of evangelism, having no understanding of how to relate to people in a way that wins their hearts and brings them into the kingdom, right? Or how about just teaching God's word, teaching, 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 but having very little emotional wholeness in order to be able to connect what is being taught to people's hearts so that they can apply it to their lives and, and lead people into the wholeness of God's word, and the application, sensing what God is doing in people's hearts, and, you know, and so forth. Or, you know, it's just all these. So as we're maturing people and training disciples, we need to mature them, head, heart, and hands. And again, even our own lives, we want to be maturing in that way, in, in, in being like Jesus, head, heart, and hands, all three. Okay. Good night. I think... Um, I think what we can do is, is, is try and bring all of, some of this together. Um, now, maybe you're thinking here this morning, oh, everything Eric just said, I'm not sure if I can do it. Anybody feel like that a little bit? 
Okay, good. A little bit of honesty. <laughs> Some honesty, good. Great, that's great. Uh, you know, you may be thinking, I can't make disciples. So stop and pause for a minute, right? And think, why not? Is it that, what is the reasons? What are the reasons, right? Is it because you yourself feel like you're so far away from what that looks like that you can't do that? Or is it that you, know, you don't know where to begin? Right? So just pause and think a little bit. Okay, why do I feel like I can't do what was shared? Hmm. Okay, ponder that. And pray, just pray under your breath and say, Lord, would you speak to me about that? But in another sense, you don't have to worry about that too much because all of you are doing it already to some degree. Okay. Right, all of you, every single day, are teaching and you're modeling for people what it means to be Christian. You might not be doing the best job. You might be doing a good job. But you're doing it by your actions, by your words, by your emphasis, the way you use your time, the way you invite people into your life, into your home. Everything you're doing, you're doing exactly everything I shared today. Right? But is it healthy? Is it like Jesus? But you're modeling for people by everything you're doing in your life about what it means because you identify as being a believer in Jesus. So you're modeling that. The question you, you maybe want to ask yourself this morning, am I, doing that? am I doing that well? Or maybe another question is, how can I do that better? And then let the Holy Spirit begin to work right there, that part of your life, where he says, that part you're not doing just like me as much as you could. Right? Let me help you. Let me get into that part of your life and help change that, right? By my spirit, by my word, by my grace. You become more like me so that you exemplify more of me in this area of your life, right? So again, all of us are doing it already. The question is that we want to ask ourselves, how well are we doing it? Remember, every master or every disciple, did someone finish? Every disciple, when he's fully trained, would be like his master. Maybe we feel like we're here and this is... Or maybe we feel like we're here, here, here. And wherever we are, let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Lord Jesus. Say, Jesus, how do you want me to, to be better at what you're calling me in your word to be? And let's start there. Okay? Don't start with whatever you're imagining over here. Start right here where you're at and ask the Holy Spirit to speak into that. And then start adjusting that in your life. And then take the next step. Right? And the next step. And there's a reason God works in our lives this way. Okay? There's a reason God only shows us the next step the next thing to repent of. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us, never. I've hardly ever met someone who God just lays out their whole life and the next 15 steps of their lives of what they should do. And the reason why, it's very simple, is he wants us to keep being dependent on him. He wants us to keep seeking him. He wants us to keep being in prayer. He wants us to keep being in his word. Reliant on him. This living, dynamic relationship that always is seeking him and wanting the next step and the next step. If he told us what to do the next 15 years or 10 years or five years or one year, we would probably... As who we are as humans, we probably forget about being close to him and just start doing what he told us to do. God knows that, so he doesn't do that, right? He just tells us the next thing. So ask the Lord, what's the next thing in relation to being like you and making, bringing others to be like you that you want to work in my life? Again, <clears throat> um, let me say something here in clarification. I'm not <clears throat> asking you this morning to go out and try harder. If any of you heard that, Please unhear it. Or because sometimes we interpret something like, okay, now you need to go outside and just do harder what you've done before. No, it's more about training, right? <clears throat> just like an apprentice, we learn to being trained to a process of time from the master. Ultimately, our master is who? The Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so we turn our hearts to him. Right? If we keep messing up, 
in a sense, right? The, the, the crown molding, 45 degree crown molding and the camera tree on the top of the, the cabinets, right? You might want to turn to your teacher and ask him for help. That's just, you know, I'm saying it in the physical sense, but with spiritual implications, right? Our ultimate master is Jesus, but also there's others who've gone before us, right? There's certain th- people who've gone before us in certain areas that we can invite into our lives with if we have humility and say, can you help me in this area? Because it's not like, like Jesus. And I see that part of your life is more like Jesus. So could you help me to become like that? Right? That's just humility. Right? If you want to become a master camera builder, the best one in the area, you always start as an apprentice with the simple things and grow into learning and how to do the more difficult things with time and experience. Okay. So, um, let me conclude in that, in the sense of saying this again, the call of Jesus is to come follow me, right? And I'll teach you what? How to fish for men. It's to come and be a disciple, to learn from him and to do what he did. Right? And then Jesus said in, in, in relation to that, every disciple when he's fully trained will be like his master. Right? And so, again, tying the theme, this theme together, together of when we heard two weeks ago as we were teaching on the, the, the power of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, right? Um, is that we want to move on from that, right? Not on in the sense of just leave that behind. We want to incorporate this, the outpouring of the spirit to flow not just to build up the church, right? Initially, when this happens in churches, often there's so many things start to shift because we've actually just become normal <laughs> in the sense of the way Jesus' body is supposed to be. Healthy, whole, the spirit working like that we, see, that we see in scripture. And sometimes that can take a while for a congregation to get to the point where it just is maybe more like the scriptures. And that can be a whole process. And right, and was here mentioned that it could take possibly a year, maybe two. But in that process, again, Pentecost, and I mentioned this in the beginning, Acts 2, within a very short amount of time was where? It was out in the streets, resulting in people in mass coming into the kingdom. That's a healthy Pentecost movement. It does not stay within the four walls of a church. And the measure of the health of what God is going to do among you is going to be measured in, in degree to that. It's not just that we're all going to be excited about special gifts God is giving us that we can exercise even corporately and in our individual life, but it's like, that's amazing as we get built up in the faith. But then on to, because God's heart is a longing for the world to come to know him, the lost to come to know him, right? And so he wants to use this congregation to accomplish that end, right? And so that's why this morning, what I felt like God put in my heart to share was connected to being a disciple and foundation and realigning ourselves with the expectation of what that means so that we can move with the spirit as he's working in our lives to, 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 to be a disciple ourselves and to make disciples, starting here and then moving outward, right? Um, now, what I want to also say, um, it's sometimes um, there can be hindrances to that, right? And this is different, different places. Um, but when I was here last, as I was praying, and I remember I, I shared this, this word, and I want to just bring us around to this and connect to kind of what you said this morning, Daniel, is... Um, so I'm going to read for us Mark chapter 4, verse 19. And it's, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. So everything, you know, I've, I've, 
even I've been preaching, if it was last time we're here, even this morning, all of that would be come unfruitful, not bear fruit. Okay? All of it. If the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter into your heart and take it away. And I believe that's a word from the Lord for you as a congregation individually. And then there's something God is trying to get a hold of here. There's certain things that are keeping you as his body from entering into even the fullness individually and then as corporately from the fullness of what he wants to accomplish for you here in this region, even of North Carolina. And I, I believe it's connected to this. I believe it's connected to what you shared, Daniel. You know, we can have idols that creep with time into our hearts. Things that we love more than Jesus, more than God, that we pursue more than him. And God knows his people cannot accomplish, cannot be or accomplish what he wants them to be or what he wants to accomplish to them if they're, if they're not, their affections, their thoughts, their hearts are not for him and, and predominantly towards him. So, again, just thinking what I said something as I began is that we can become somewhat excited about the prophetic, Right? But the real fruit in a prophetic word is always in measure to the obedience to that. Okay, does that make sense? So we could all, okay, so that was nice. God spoke to us this morning. You know, God spoke to us two weeks ago and then we could just go on. God keeps speaking to us and not obey and not apply to our life and make trajectory change in our lives. Guys, guys are we getting, do you get what I'm saying? It's very important. If we want to have fruit, or if the, the, the fruit is, is not choked out from, from us as believers and as congregations, is that we do what God says and we apply it to our lives. And so last time I was here, I shared this and then I raised, asked for a raise of hands and some of you raised your hands. So what I would suggest is that you take what the Holy Spirit is saying to you very seriously, right? And you just start repenting because that repentance is gonna be filled with God's grace. And I, when I was here last time, I shared the story of this deep repentance where my heart had gone you know, the wrong way, right? Remember that story? And then God in lavish grace provided everything I needed in that context. That's the way God is going to work in your repentance. Maybe not exactly like that, but it's going to be filled with grace and hope and renewal in your life in such a beautiful way. And so what I want to call you this morning to in a gentle way again is just even connected to what you're sharing this morning, Daniel, is that we turn our hearts away from idolatry. Particularly, I think it's connected in the sense of the dream you had in the workplace. The pursuit of riches. Okay. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, and the desire for other things. If that's you this morning, if that describes the way you've related to just to the Lord, if that those things have come in first, what I want to do this morning is just lead us to repentance. Okay? Because and the reason and, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time just to respond to that. Because and, and even a public response. So and we have to do that again. If we can't be inconvenienced, guys, we're not gonna be able to suffer for Jesus. If we can't even be inconvenienced to make a public statement like I've I've, I've actually, I've done this. I'm really sorry. Actually, it grieves my heart. It grieves, I know it grieves the Lord. And I, I want to make a public declaration that, yeah, that's where I've been. And it's, it's actually not okay because I'm committing spiritual adultery with, with these things. And Jesus has come up from being the center thing in my life. That's really not good. So we want to, we want to just come back in a gentle way and say, to, 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 let's come back to that. Let's come back to Jesus being first and foremost in, in repentance. And so, again, the way I'd like to apply that this morning is just to have a time where we come forward 
And what we're gonna do this morning is just a time for you personally to speak to the Lord. So maybe what we can do is have the worship team come. We can do that even now. Um, now, maybe some of you, you in the worship team need to repent and just be a frontier. So then maybe, you know, if we just have one or two instruments playing, that's okay. But let's just take some time this morning of, um, of just worshiping. And then response is forward, come forward by yourself, make a public declaration. Lord, Lord, I want to be free from this in my heart, from the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires of other things, for, from, from committing spiritual adultery. Uh, God, would you forgive me? Would you set me free? And so come forward, just confess that to the Lord, repent of that, and you can go back to your seats after that. If you want prayer, you know, I'll be up front here, maybe some of the pastoral team here can just be up front praying for people. Maybe someone in the pastoral team needs to just pray the same thing. It's okay, let's just be open to the Lord, whatever he wants. Um, and, but let's respond to the Lord. Let's apply God's word. Let's not just teach it every week, right? Listen and then go out and forget and not apply. Again, if we wanna see fruit in the church, we're going to have to be inconvenienced even slightly. And remember, um, part of Peter uh, from Galatians, part of the thing that Peter faced you know, in relation to fear was um, he didn't fear anything, it seemed. Read scripture. He feared one thing. That's what his brother and his sister taught, was, was thinking of him. So that's why he Galatians, in the, book of, uh, in the area of Galatia, he compromised the gospel. And he withdrew from the Gentiles and didn't eat with them because he didn't want his other brothers to think certain things of him. So don't think this morning of what someone else is thinking of you. Okay, we need to be free of that completely. There's Jesus people. We need to be, uh, the, there has to be a, a fear of God that's healthy that always tells us to obey, right? So let's, this morning, whoever just was touched um, in relation to what God is speaking of us here as his people, um, the, the words, the prophetic words that were shared, so I invite you to come and get on your knees and confess that when you're done. Just go back, go back and sit down. So, let me just lead us in prayer.